As we continue our theme for the year in this series of messages, Shake It Up, it's, uh, it's exciting to see how God is stirring in our hearts and how we're taking things to action, looking at His Word. And we're excited today as we look at Don't Walk Alone, how we should, as believers, have friendships that are closer than brothers. How do we do that? How do we live that out in our life? How does a man have a relationship with a man, a woman have a relationship with a woman, no doubt, for sure, the closest relationship, friendship I have is with my wife, and I cherish that and would die for her. But in Scripture, there's also this picture of men having a closer-than-a-brother relationship with a man, and the same for women. Before we get there, but it applies even to this message, a big shout-out to Fairfield Girls basketball team regional champions last night. That's, that's a big deal in our community. And a lot of what they did were able to do really connects well with what we're going to talk about today is, is as individuals becoming a team and becoming one together and then in using our gifts, skills, and abilities to do so. We were made to live in community. God designed us, created us. Scripture is implicit. New Testament, Old Testament, we all have a function. We have gifts, skills, and abilities Paul uses the analogy of the body. Some of us can use our eye, our ears, our feet, our legs, our limbs. And when you bring all the pieces together, they function as one in unity. So there is this picture that, that God has given us. That he wants us to live in community. He wants us to have friendships that are closer than a brother. And, but in every great accomplishment that's ever done, it's done with a team. And the greater the accomplishment one makes, they're surrounded by teammates. Two questions I ask before we dig into this message. When it comes to friendships, when it comes to having a closer than a brother friendship, who would you say, if you were to go in the margin of your Bible and you were to write today and answer these two questions, who who would you say the answer to these questions would be when it comes to relationship? So if I were to ask you today, who is with you? What would you say? Now, I know your husband or your wife is, but who is that female, if you're female that's in your life, who is that male or male in your life, that dude in your life, that you would say is with you? You know that no matter where you were at or what was happening to you, you could pick up a phone and text, you could make a call, and they would literally, if need be, would fly from the other side of the world to be by your side to be with you. Who is that person in your life as a man that you have? And then the other question is this. Who are you with? So who would say that you're that person? If someone was to write in the margin of their Bible that I can depend on them, that's the closest friend, we share everything, we have this relationship together, we pray together, we keep each other accountable, we pour into each other. This is the woman, this is the man in my life that I have this closer-than-a-brother relationship. I am not walking alone. Solomon said this about relationships, and I just want you to, to listen to this today. Solomon said this. You don't need to turn there, but he said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Just listen to this. He said this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, 
Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So just picture this as we talk for an illustration, for analogy. He says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So picture if you can, as, picture this as one person, this as another person, and this strand or this rope as the third person. What Solomon is showing us in Scripture says two are better than one. If you took two pieces of rope and put them together, they would be much stronger than they would by themselves. God has never designed human beings to operate by themselves and to walk alone. He has always designed where two can come together and defend together is stronger. And then he says this, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's this idea where you take the three relationships and you weave them together. And as you weave them together, you form this one strand that is incredibly strong, that it is difficult for that strand to be broken. And so through scripture we're seeing, and we're going to see today a relationship I'm going to show you, that when we link arms together with another dude, if you're a dude, and if you're a gal and you link arms with another gal, where you do life together, where you have accountability, where you are challenging and encouraging and lifting them up to be all they can be in Christ, that's the picture of a healthy relationship. The Bible gives us this incredible story of two men. They cared about each other. They, they, they loved each other. They would fend for their lives for each other. And we are going to learn from their relationship exactly what Jesus meant or what Paul meant and what Solomon meant and what we're going to see what Jonathan and David were able to do together in relationship. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And as you turn in there, continue to answer those questions. Who is with you and who are you with? Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 1 to 9. Would you stand with me as we read this out loud together? 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. Let's read this out loud together. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father who is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. Verse 3. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king, your dad. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. 
Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? You have a seat. So picture this if you can. Jonathan, whose father is King Saul, is the king during this time. David will be the king, has been anointed to be king. David knows that King Saul wants to kill him. Jonathan, however, is the friend to David. The Bible says closer than a brother. So picture these two men. Jonathan is the king's son. So in, in reality, he was next in line to be king. However, he cares about David so much that he understands that David is more suited to be the king than he is. So David comes to him. I need to know if your father wants to harm me. I need to know if your father wants to kill me. We need to set up this plan so that you can find out. So this meeting that I'm supposed to go to, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay outside and then you tell your dad that I went home to be with family. I need to know. And Jonathan, he kept his word. He says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So there is this friendship that has been forged under fire. And now it's going to be brought to the surface. Would Jonathan follow through? Would David follow through? And would their friendship be stronger and deeper than Jonathan and his dad wanting to kill his best friend? Let me just begin by giving you this, this, this preliminary thought. The most common cause of living below our redemptive potential is that we have chosen to walk alone than walk together. You and I, if you're walking alone, you'll never become, never become. A loneliness is a real issue in our world. Many people have chosen to be by themselves. Many people don't know why they're with by themselves and so there's this lonely factor that leaves people on the fringes and we're going to see from the text today and hopefully by the end of this message I'm going to encourage you to push through that fear of the unknown to jump into community and to forge a relationship with someone of the same sex and find this closer than a brother relationship that you will grow they will grow and you will live to your redemptive potential However, way too many Christ followers have chosen to be mercenaries. They, they do it by themselves. They show up by themselves. They're all by themselves. They sin by themselves. And they have chosen to do life alone. And God has never intended you or me to do life alone. So David feels threatened by his life. Keep in mind these truths again about Jonathan and David. Jonathan was in line to receive the kinship. At any moment, he could have went to his dad and said, hey, this is what David's doing so that he could usurp the authority and in fact, not usurp it, but even become the king. Here's another preliminary thought regarding this relationship. Here is a man, Jonathan, that would value his friendship more than his own personal success. Do you? Like, do you have a friend? Are you the kind of friend that someone would say, you know what? They would value this friendship more than their own personal success. Jonathan, like, his own personal success. He should be in line to be king. And he values the friendship of David over that. And for Jonathan, it was never a question of who should be king. 
Paul reiterated what true friendship should be and relationship would be. And I just want you to listen. When he gave us the picture of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us in Philippians 2, this is what he said we should demonstrate and we should emulate. This is what he said. Paul said this. Paul said, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other. And then he said this. In your relationships, he's talking to the church of Philippi, but it's to us too. In your relationships, Grace Community Church, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Selflessness. That's the primary ingredient in relationships that are closer than a brother. It's saying, I value your interest. Jonathan's saying, David, your success is more important than my own lineage. Your success is more important than anything. I've made a commitment and a covenant before God that I will be your friend. When you find that kind of friend, you know that you have a closer than a brother. You know, I think about that every single time, and there's a few people that you can look at in your life and say, they're closer than a brother to me. When I felt the call to go to Grace College as a 22-year-old young man, I had a very close friend, and still, the same, still have this friend who's closer than a brother. We did everything together. We, we prayed together. We, we, we studied God's word together. We played basketball together in high school. We played baseball together. We, we uh, played on softball teams together. We both went to a broken engagement together. And Mike was closer and still is closer than the brother to me. And when God put a call on my life to go to school to pursue ministry, I knew I was going to have to say goodbye to my friend. It was one of the hardest goodbyes that I've ever had. I remember standing in his driveway. Here was two dudes, 22 years old, standing in the driveway, and I knew this is what our relationship would never be the same again. And every time I go to Western Maryland and we take a group of men to his mountain property, by the way, we land in the middle of the night on a Thursday night. We set up base, sometimes 50, 60 men, Right smack middle in the middle of deer season. Hear me out. He bought this property so that he could hunt deer on it. And he lets us come right in the middle, smack middle of deer season to build 700-foot fires, to, to, to do crazy men's stuff on this mountain, to float down the Potomac River. And why? Because he values what happens with the men on that mountain, and we have a friendship. He even is willing to give up the biggest deer that could be killed on the mountain because of a friendship that we had. I remember saying goodbye to him standing in his driveway. I kid you not, we both cried. I'm standing there and saying goodbye to my friend, realizing it will never be the same again. And the relationship was built on trust, integrity, and selflessness. And David and Jonathan have this kind of relationship, and we can have that kind of relationship too. It takes incredible character to be willing to give up something that should have been yours and recognize there's someone better suited for the task. And to have a friend that's willing to pull you up instead of push you down. 
That's what a healthy relationship is. It's having someone in your life, man to man, woman to woman, that's constantly pulling you up, helping you live to your redemptive potential. I was thinking about it this past Friday in our staff prayer time. In our staff prayer time, we meet in our office on Fridays, and we meet on Thursdays and Wednesdays too, but Friday is praise day. And so we were gathered together, and we were seated. Hey, Kevin, can I use for an illustration? Come here a second, please. So we were all kind of just seated on the floor, just like this, down on the floor. I bet you never thought you were going to do this when you came in here, did you, man? So I was seated against the wall, and Tannen was beside me. He was over here, Pastor Tannen. And we got to the end of our time together, and as we're ready to close, we closed in prayer. And when you get my age, getting up is you figure out ways to get up that your knees don't hurt as bad. And Kevin, you probably understand that too, don't you? You're not even my age, but you understand that. And so it'd be really easy for me, both of us, we got up. Let's go ahead and you get up, you know, we make her, you get up. So we go back down. Let's get back down, Kevin. But as I was seated there, Tannen got up before me. You stay there, Kevin. And he got up and he walked over and he grabbed my hand and he pulled me up. Isn't that much easier? A lot easier. It's like, can I take your hand and help you up? Like, it's easier to get you up. Keith, it's easier to pull you up, isn't it? Trace, it's easier to pull you up. You guys can have a seat. The picture is this. It's being willing. Ryan, let me help you up. Help you up. It's so much easier. Let me help you up, Josh. When someone pulls you up, as opposed to trying to get up on your own. The picture is this. We need people in our lives that are willing. Sure, sure, sure. You could get up on your own. And you could do it over and over again, but it's this picture of having someone else says, you know what? I'm going to pull you up. Pastor Tannen grabbed a hold of my hand and about yanked me clean across the room. <laughs> but I tell you what, I got up. <laughs> Who are you pulling up in a friendship? And where are you part of a team that you are helping to win? Maybe you need to answer these questions first. Answer these questions. Don't raise your hand. Just answer these. Do I have a friendship with someone that we are helping each other become the best they can become? Am I sharpening one another? Am I spurring one another on? Am I loving one another? Am I praying with one another? Am I serving one another? Do I have it as a female... I am one anothering with them. Do I have it as a male, a man? Am I one another? Is there, is there someone or a group, maybe it's three in my life, where we are becoming better and stronger together? How about this? Does your track record show that you blow friendships up and end up without anyone? You have to ask the question, why? Is there anyone in your life right now Do you look back and say, man, I started out good, but it seems like we get to a certain point, then it blows up. If that keeps happening, at some point you have to ask this question, is it me? Am I placing my interests above their interests? Jesus humbled himself, and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Answer this question. Am I pretty much a mercenary doing my thing, my way, not pulling another friend up? In fact, when you fail, here's when you know. 
you have a friend that's closer than a brother. The last advice from a friend when you have failed is a hug. That's friendship. It's not beating you up. It's not knocking you down and condemning you. It's it's being in the picture and say, we're going to get through this. So here you have this picture. David wants to know, is Saul going to kill him? So Jonathan is there. He has has a choice to make. Will he follow through with this covenant he had made? Look back in verse 20, or chapter 20 and verse 4. Look, Look what it says. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll what for you? What's he say? Do for you. So let's read on. So verse 16 of chapter 20. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved what? That's a deep relationship. Now, that's bro love, okay? And that's gal love for each other. That's saying, I will cover your six. I will be with you until you breathe your last breath. I will never let you down. You can depend on me. That's a closer than a brother relationship. So look at verse 18. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone Ezel. I will shoot how many arrows? Three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, Go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are what? What's he say? Safe. And there is no what? Danger. Verse 22. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are what you? What's it say? Behind you. Then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I had discussed, remember, the Lord is a witness between you and me forever. So he creates this scenario. He says, okay, I'm going to see if dad's going to kill you. We'll find out. And so after he's about ready to sit with him, we're going to find out what happens. He says, listen, I want you to hide behind this stone. So picture David. He's, he's tucked in behind this stone, and he's hiding behind this. And David is about to take a bow, and he is going to shoot three arrows. And he says, if I shoot these three arrows and the boy finds them, then you're okay. okay. But if I shoot one arrow beyond the boy and he goes and gets that, you know from that that dad, the king, Saul, is going to and wants to harm you and kill you. You see, when you know who is with you and you know who you are with, you can face whatever is yet to come. But the problem is this. This is a big deal. Many of us, however, don't even jump into these kind of relationships. We stay on the fringes as mercenaries. Either we blow the friendship up or we remain on the edge out of fear, the enemy saying, don't open up, don't go there. We listen to the voice of the enemy instead of opening ourselves up to community and finding a person like that. So people often ask me, Pastor Jim, where do you get a friend like that? Like, I don't know where to find a friend like that. 
Here's what I say. Find your people, and then you will find your friend. Now, let me explain that to you. It's not saying, I'm going to go find a friend first. It's find your people. What do I mean by people? Find the people that are doing life, chasing after Jesus, living with adventure in such a way that's appealing to you. Plant yourself right in the middle of that and do life with them. And when you start doing life with your people, I'll guarantee you there'll be someone in the middle of your people that you will connect with. Hallelujah. And how does that happen? Here's how it happens. You find the places where God is working. Henry Blackaby said many years ago in his book, Experiencing God, find a movement of God and jump in the middle of it and join it. That's what you do. And yet men will often, women will often stay on the fringes, fearful, listening to the voice of the enemy, thinking I don't have what it takes. Instead of speaking to themselves and talking to themselves, they listen to themselves. So you know what I do? I look for the places that men, where God is changing lives. I want to be right in the middle of it, where men are repenting of their sins, where men are locking arms together and chasing after Jesus, loving their wives, loving their kids. They're on an adventure, doing the things that makes my heart race for Jesus. I jump right in the middle of that, and I say, God, here I am. Use me. Let me pull some dudes up too, and I guarantee you, you jump in the middle of that and men and women you will find a friend Hallelujah. but you know what we do oh here's what we do here's what we do someone invites you to that community and here's what you say i don't want that i don't need that i don't like that that's not my thing i would rather do it my way it takes too much time i've tried that before Thanks for asking, but there's that one thing I don't like about it, so I'll throw it all out. And yet, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, set aside your own interests and place the interests of others above yourself. You want to grow? Jump into community. You want to grow? Jump into the middle where God is moving in a powerful way and men's and women's lives are being transformed. You can't find a friend on the fringes. You gotta go to the middle of where God is moving. Besides, why wouldn't you want to be part of a great move of God where men and women are chasing after Jesus Christ? That's why we're here. Jonathan knows that. David knows that. Imagine the pain Jonathan was feeling here because he knows this would mean that he might not see his friend David again. So watch what happens. Look at verse 24. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. That's Jonathan's dad, King Saul, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was what? What does it say? He was, he was out in the field. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse, David, 
come to the meal, either yesterday or today. Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers, David said. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Verse 30, Saul's anger did what? What's it say? Flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I don't know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse, David, lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be what? Established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must what? Die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul <coughs> hurled his spear at him to what? Him. Kill him. And then Jonathan knew his father intended to kill David. You bet he did. Think about it. He was so angry with Jonathan that he actually threw a spear and almost killed his own son. I'd say, David, he wants you too. So there's the picture. Now he knows. He knows that his relationship and his friendship will never be the same again. Ever. With David. Because his dad, King Saul, wants to kill him. Feels threatened because of David. So they know the plan that they had. Remember, three arrows? Shoot three arrows. And if dad is going and wants to harm you, then send the boy beyond. Imagine the pain. Have you ever lost a close friend, either because of moving or relocation or even death? It's a tough thing to lose. We always have to keep in mind, too, that we might begin this journey alone, but the place God is taking us to is a land called together heaven. I often say, learn to work in relationship now. Because hear me out. All those people that you have chosen not to get along with who are Christ followers, you will spend eternity. And I often say, I wouldn't be surprised God puts their, their mansion right next door to yours. We have to learn to live in unity and harmony with one another. God's not going to give you a place in heaven all by yourself. You're going to be in this city and you're going to be doing life and community with other Christ followers. Jonathan is showing us that real friendships are built on trust, selflessness, and integrity. Please, always keep this in mind. That people don't slow you down. The wrong people slow you down. And if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far, fast, go with a team. God has designed us to live in community. So who are you pulling up? Where have you become the third strand? How are you using your gifts and abilities to forge a friendship? Where are you standing in the middle of your people so that you can find the person that you can do life with? Are you a mercenary on the fringes I'll guarantee you, you'll never find 
a brother that's, or a friend that's closer and the brother on the fringes. So we know what's happening here. Jonathan needs to shoot three arrows. Watch what happens. Look at verse 34 to 42. It says this. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On the second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. So literally, here's the picture. He says, I'm, t- I'm taking these arrows. So just picture David is hiding. And he says, run behind the arrow. He fires one. And he fires another one. And he fires a third one, duck. He says, Jordan, go beyond. Meanwhile, David is what? David's hunkered down in behind this this rock easel. And he says to the young man, look what he says to the young boy. Look what Jonathan says as as he's there. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow what? What's it say? Beyond you, verse 38. Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone... David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then he kissed. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, friend, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is the witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. You see, your greatest strength is not when you can prove that you don't need anyone. Your greatest strength is when you no longer prove that you can do it alone. That's friendship. That's the picture here. Jonathan shoots the arrows to warn his friend that dad wants to kill you knowing full well as they stood in that field and David bowed down to him. The scripture says David wept the most and I gotta believe because he understood what Jonathan was willing to give up for him, even the kingship. You see, that's what friends do that are closer than a brother. The tragedy is this though. David learned a valuable lesson though. He learned that people are important and friendships are valuable. He learned to never walk alone again and that two are better than one. And a cord of three strands, he understood, cannot be broken. And he knew that God had created him not only to lead in community, but to live in community. The tragedy, however, in life is that far too many of us would rather be the star on a losing team than the complimentary player on the championship team. Did you hear me? The tragedy in life is that far too many of us would rather 
be the star who sits on the fringes on the losing team than the complimentary player on the championship team. God wants us to use our gifts in community, find our people, connect with them, pull others up, strain together with another so that we all become more like Christ. You see, when you surround yourself with great people, it elevates who you are too because you have teammates. Proverbs is loaded with principles and friendship. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. But in order for David to find his destiny, he needed to find a band of brothers, not co-workers, not neighbors, but a band of brothers that he would do anything for them and they would do anything for him too. He did that. In fact, as he became king, he surrounded himself. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Look at David's life. He learned a valuable lesson about friendship with Jonathan from this. And so he jumped in to, with his people and he linked arms and he, he knew that two are better than one and he surrounded himself with people who would pull him up and he would pull them up. Look at this list of David's mighty warriors. 2 Samuel chapter 23, look at verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joshab, Bashabeth, Atakamite. What an awesome name. Sounds like dynamite. Was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. One man, 800 men. Like, I'm glad he's my friend, aren't you? Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dode. With a name like that, you better be able to do something. He says, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Paz Damnon for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines. Look what it says. Till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Aji, the Herite. Look what it says. When the Philistines banded together at the place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water, thirsty, and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So, three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their own lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. On, look what it says. Abishai, brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed. And so he became famous as the three Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaiah, Kelly and Galen Rassler's son, was son of Jehoiada, 
a valiant fighter from Kebzil, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. And look at this. He also went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a what? A lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the, of the 30, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. He needed a band of brothers, and he jumped in the middle of his people, and he, they fought to the death for him. I'm always grieved, always, always, always grieved when I watch men and women do life on their own terms, and run from community when hundreds of opportunities for them to show up and find their people and do life with them. I am always grieved when men choose not to run in community where life transformation is taking place. I'm always grieved when women run from community where life transformation is taking place. I want to say, don't you realize That's where God is powerfully working. Hallelujah. You see, if you decide to walk with Jesus, and when he calls you, he never calls you to yourself only. He always calls you to a people. He always calls you to each other. Oh, God, help us. So many of us have chosen to live on the fringes and Man, we got our excuses. They're so good. And yet we wonder why we can't keep friendships. We wonder why it appears that we're stuck on the fringes again, listening to the lies of the enemy. I pray, God, that this year we would shake it up. I pray, God, that we would run to our people. We would run and join where you are moving in a powerful way. And we say, God, here I am. Send me, use me. I choose not to be a mercenary again this year. I want to use my gifts, skills, and abilities to pull others up and to be pulled up by them and form a band of brothers and sisters to storm the gates of hell together. May we be those people, God, this year. And I pray, God, that we would listen to you, Holy Spirit, instead of listening to the voice of the enemy, and that we would run to community and that you would allow us to be a third strand, to be the second person to make us stronger and better and more equipped to advance the kingdom of God and live to our redemptive potential. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been asking you to shake things up. And many of you come and We're grateful that you come. You come and worship on Sundays, and we're glad you're here. There's a lot of great churches in in Elkhart County and Goshen. But some of you have never went, and you've heard me talk about it. There's this whole other venue that's behind me called The Link. How you doing, Pastor Mike? Pastor Mike, we're going live here. There's a whole other venue called The Link that some of you think, oh, that must be the overflow. How you doing, Pastor Mike? Pastor Mike, we're going live here. There's a whole other venue called The Link. And some of you think, oh, that must be the overflow service. It's not an overflow service.
The same songs that are sung here in the main are sung in the wing. The same crazy preacher is preaching over there in the wing. It's alive. In fact, I'm going to show you how easy it is to find a whole other group of people that you might not ever get to know because you have chosen to not try out the link. Let me show you how easy it is to go over to the link. Maybe, maybe you never heard of it. Maybe you've never been there. But I'm going to ask you this year to shake it up and to walk over and worship in the link. Follow me over. Come on, Pastor Mike. Let's go. Show them how easy it is. You just walk right out these doors. How you guys doing? You're on the screen. Can you say hi, everybody? Lisa here to hub. So Mike, here's where they come in. They come in here and look, you walk in the door and you have a choice. Go left to the main or go right to the link. There's a whole other venue. Let me show you this venue. There's a group of people down here that are worshiping God, much like you. We've got Tyler holding the door open for us. Hi, Tyler. How you doing? Good. How are you? And you walk into this venue and there's a whole other group of people. Come on in. So how you guys doing? You guys glad you're here today? Yeah. Floyd, so got his Floyd here. We got a tech team that's operating here. So guys, can you say hello? Hello. Hello. <laughs> so Mike, walk on down here. We got a group of people that actually, we got, we got, look at all these teens up front. We got to get way up here, Pastor Mike. Mike, show them the monitors around here. You can come over here and watch the service on all these monitors. You can see me that I'm like, look, I'm 10 foot tall. <laughs> but seriously, there's a whole other venue here that's waiting. Hey, hey, Glenn, can you say hello to the main? Come on. Hey! Isn't this a great place to worship, guys? Yeah. yeah. It's a great place. And we want you to come out. We got new chairs. We have new sound. We have new monitors, new TVs. We encourage you to shake it up this year and come join your family, your people here in the lake. One more time. You tell me to come out here. Yeah. Hey, let me pray for you as we close out our service. God, we love you. We're grateful, God, that you love us. We're grateful, God, that you want us to live in community with each other. And I pray that we would jump right in the middle of our people. We would stop saying no. And that we would learn and become those friends that pull others up. And when we get to the end of our lives and others get to the end of their lives, that will be included in the chapters of their book as mighty men and mighty women who are willing to do whatever it took to pull our friends up. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the link said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you guys next time.